This is the Manufacturing Report. I'm Scott Paul. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and on our Facebook page at American Manufacturing. And I need to ask you a favor before we get started. Take a moment to help us spread the word. Write a review of this podcast and share it with a friend who would enjoy the Manufacturing Report. You can tweet us at Keep It Made in USA, and you can connect with us on our website, AmericanManufacturing.org. President Trump has returned from his first trip abroad. One of the goals of his travel was to bolster and reshape America's international security alliances. Meanwhile, his administration took another step towards determining whether the steel industry should be protected on the basis of national security concerns by conducting an all-day hearing at the Commerce Department. We speak with a retired Army Brigadier General, John Adams, one of the witnesses at the hearing, today on the Manufacturing Report. Let's get started. John Adams is a retired Army Brigadier General, having served our nation for more than 30 years in key leadership roles. General Adams was the lead author of the 2013 AAM report, Remaking American Security. In many ways, that report helped pave the way for the Trump administration to initiate a national security review of the impact of imports on America's steel industry. Ultimately, this review could lead to new tariffs on imported steel. General Adams and more than 30 others recently testified on the matter in Washington, D.C. We had the opportunity to sit down with General Adams after the testimony and collect his thoughts. We asked General Adams to reflect on how and why he led our effort to put together a 300-plus page review of manufacturing and national security. When I retired from the military in 2007, uh, I became interested as a retired army officer and retired general in the defense industrial base writ large uh, and began doing research, which resulted in a, the 2013 study called Remaking American Security, published by Alliance for American Manufacturing. And it's been a, a, a creative process since then. The more I find out about how important the defense industrial base is, the more I realize how much of our national security depends on it. That's how I got interested, and that's why I'm still interested. Of course, we know John's service played a key role in all of his efforts. We asked General Adams how he first came to understand the intersection of national security and the strength of our steel industry. I'll give you an example. When I was on temporary duty in Iraq in 2004, uh, for an admittedly brief time, but I was there in Iraq, and one of the things that I saw when I was there were our soldiers and Marines putting armor plate on their tactical vehicles to protect themselves against improvised explosive devices. And where did that armor plate come from? A lot of it came from moms and dads that wanted to protect their sons and daughters who were getting shredded by shrapnel and IED explosions. Um, And so obviously as a family member you care about your son or daughter who's serving. DOD went to uh, some foreign steel suppliers, armor plate suppliers, and the, the foreign armor plate suppliers told them, okay, we'll do that, but you're in line behind all the other orders we have, which are high priority because they came in first. The only companies 
the only steel manufacturers that provided the armor plate to up armor our tactical vehicles were American companies. Uh, ArcelorMittal comes to mind. I know they were a big part of it. Uh, and they produced armor plate. They produced ultimately the, uh, not, only the up, not only the armor plate for the, the then tactical vehicles, but also for the vehicles that were built afterwards to protect against mines and, and IEDs. Using rated orders, because they're American companies, they have to prioritize American defense needs. And that is a distinction between uh, our companies and other countries' companies. What did that say to me as an Army officer or a, a soldier uh, who, were, who was in on more than 30 years? It says to me that you know, the folks that are doing our defense industrial base work are just as important as anybody who's wearing a uniform. They're also defending our country, and we can't forget that. America has a reputation for rising to the occasion. World War II's arsenal of democracy may be the most visible manifestation of this. General Adams reflects on how the steel industry has helped to safeguard our freedom. Let's look at the history of American steel. It's very closely linked to the strength of our military. And the perfect example of that, although it was another generation, another time, was World War II. American steel was the backbone of our defense industry, whether it was producing ships or tanks or you name the military equipment, almost all of it required steel. And America, America's steel industry rose to the occasion and, in fact, was one of the important reasons why the United States industry was able to defeat the, the, the enemies in World War II. Um, and if you look at over the decades since then, steel has continued to be an important part of our national security, both in production of weapons and defense systems, but also an uh, important part of producing um, our infrastructure that we need for homeland security uh, and for producing the kind of uh, technology advances that we use throughout our economy. So you're looking at it from a military perspective, you're looking at it from a homeland security perspective, you're looking at it from an economic perspective, American Steel is the backbone of all of those. Without, one way to look at it is without American Steel, without domestic American Steel, we would be uh, vulnerable to all kinds of economic pressures that we don't have now. There are, um, a, there are a range of industries that are dependent upon American Steel production that are not steel per se, but they require steel in order to produce products. So it's a huge part of our economy. Um, and it's a, if you look at the homeland security aspects of it, as opposed to just the military aspects, I mean, as a soldier, of course, I'm focused on the, ta the ships and tanks and, and airplanes. But, it, but if you look at it as a, as a citizen who cares about our country, which I guess would include about 300 million people, uh, you have to realize that American Steel is what gives us our uh, everything from electronic or electric transformers to uh, underground water pipes to uh, our ports and bridges. I mean, there's so many things that go into it, and I can't just I can't distinguish that from national security. To me, that is national security. So here we stand today with the world's largest military budget and unmatched technology. Warfare is now as much cyber as physical. So why and how does steel matter for 21st century warfare? 
Let's look at a, a couple of very specific examples of how steel is important to the military. One, um, we have special steel produced to, uh, for the hulls of our submarines. They're special alloys, they're Navy grade, so the Navy has to approve and certify that they're made for our submarines because if, they're, if it's not, the submarine hulls will be crushed at depth. We have special steel produced for aircraft carrier decks, both to provide the kind of strength that they need to land aircraft uh, for a period of time, and it's got to be it's got to be uh, resilient so that it can not only take the aircraft landing, but also that it lasts for years. Uh, and it's also got to protect against ballistic or ballistic damage. So those are those are two examples from the from the Navy from the from the Army perspective. Uh, steel is absolutely important for tanks, armored vehicles, all kinds of armored vehicles. I mean, and we don't, we, most of our armored vehicles are designed to protect against ballistic uh, weapons, uh, whether it be blast or uh, whether it be uh, another tank's round. But you've got to have specialized steel for that. You can't use just any sort of steel that has to be produced to withstand impact of a ballistic weapon. Um, and, and it's the same for armored vehicles that carry troops, uh, for uh, tanks, which are offensive weapons. Uh, there's just a range of uh, armor and, and steel requirements for uh, army vehicles. Beyond foreign conflicts, how else is our security as a nation impacted by a decline in the steel industry? General Adams urges us to take a broad view of security as the administration's review moves forward. There are certain kinds of steel that are produced for electric transformers, for example. You know, it's not the steel slabs that we think of most commonly when we're talking about a steel plant, but it's, it's specialized steel that can be used for electrical transformers. Uh, we build that in the United States. Um, do we want to have that built by somebody else for us? I argue, one, that that would be a, a, bad, a bad call because it would be unreliable, but also um, it wouldn't be there when we need it. And if we have a, a shock to our electrical grid, for example, we're going to need a lot more of that kind of steel. And I think especially since what we're talking about with strategic competitors who have the ability to give us that sort of shock to our infrastructure, how foolish would it be for us then to rely on them for the steel needed to prepare it? Um, let's think about bridges as a national security issue. We need bridges. Our infrastructure is in, it, need, it needs a lot of work. Um, and we need reliable producers of steel. And I would argue that the most reliable would be steel produced in our own country. We need reliable producers of steel to provide the steel for our, for our national security infrastructure. So there's a range of uh, homeland security requirements too. We heard about some of them in the hearing today. Uh, one, 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 of the, one of the testifiers talked about the, the steel that they're producing for um, barriers for, uh, against uh, vehicle-borne uh, explosive devices, uh, rebar for protective uh, walls and so forth. Uh, there's just a range of things that you know, when you typically think about steel for tanks and ships, you don't think about, but there's a, just a range of uh, infrastructure requirements that American steel is built to address and, and, and can, do, can do so only if uh, it's able to uh, produce to cer certain specifications. 
Could we get other countries to do that? We might, but then we'd have no control over whether they built it to those specifications. With American Steel, we have that control. And finally, what recommendations did General Adams make to the administration to ensure a strong steel industry, one capable of always supplying our critical needs? Well, the first thing we ought to do is we ought to take aggressive action that is intended to give a, uh, an opportunity for U.S. producers to recapture lost market and rebuild the broken supply chain. So we got a lot of we got a lot of remedial work to do. It's the case that the 232 comes up with specific remedies for that, but it ought to be directed at recapturing the lost market share. If we allow the current trend to continue, uh, we, will, we will lose that much more of the market. We can't do that. We've got to we've got to we've got to turn the trend around. Um, second, we talked a little bit about uh, how a very narrow view of national security requirements is lo just looks at what's produced for the Defense Department. Well, that's not adequate. That's not a, a that's not a realistic way of looking at what is important for our national security. As we just talked about, what's important is everything from homeland security to infrastructure. Uh, to the logistical uh, chains that we have to have for this country to uh, have a prosperous economy. I would argue that is national security. So we got to do that, take a broader look at logistics and, and critical infrastructure. Um, and then we also have to focus on the entire supply chain. For example, the, I mean, an, an example is uh, the production of steel slabs, uh, which are roughly 90% of the cost of a hot rolled steel product. But if we only do, uh, if we do a 232 safeguard remedy that, that doesn't look at the importation of foreign steel slabs, it only looks at the finished products, then we're potentially going to actually undermine our, our own domestic steel industry. So we've got to be careful how we do that. Do they look at the entire supply chain of iron and steel making? Um, one of the things that we already knew we needed to do was come up with enforceable mechanisms to control the overcapacity of steel global overcapacity of steel. And we've, we've, got some, uh, we've done some work with our, with our allies, with our economic and strategic allies to do that. But we have a lot more work to do. And frankly, uh, I think we have a lot more convincing to do uh, of some of our allies, uh, even some of our good allies in Europe who don't understand how important it is to address this problem. Um, then we've got, we've got trade enforcement laws on the books. Let's, act, let's be proactive about it. One of, the, one of the dangers is that by the time we by the time we do a trade case, for example, it can take three or four years to resolve. The damage continues to go and the, the entropy continues to happen in the industry while the trade case is being worked out. And then the trade case comes and we win them. Uh, again, uh, Leo Gerard said today, we're winning 81% of our trade cases and that's great, but it takes three or four years to win them. And in the meantime, the process of Dissolution of our industry has taken place, and sometimes the factories close before the trade case is actually decided. And then finally, we've got also the domestic sourcing laws on the books. Let's rigorously apply them, as opposed to looking, how can we get around it? How can we do exemptions? Let's look at what we need to do to actually make them work. And, and there are ways to do that, and we should be more rigorous about it. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross suggested the administration could complete its national security review of the impacts of steel imports by the end of June. What comes next? There are plenty of well-intended reports lining the shelves of many of us on this matter. The steel industry, its workers, and national security experts like John Adams want action. We'll be watching. 
That will do it for the Manufacturing Report for this week. This and past episodes of the podcast are on iTunes and SoundCloud and on our Facebook page at American Manufacturing. If you'd like to hear more, please take a moment to like the podcast and perhaps even write a review and share with a friend who would enjoy the Manufacturing Report. You can tweet us at Keep It Made in USA. I want to thank the great teams at E18 and AAM, as well as General John Adams, for making this podcast possible. Thanks for joining us, and see you next week. Together, we can keep it made in America. Music